All right, everybody. Um, uh, a couple months ago, I was asked to preach at GCF, um, and to be honest, I was instantly terrified and horrified. I was terrified for me, and I was horrified for you. You see, I classify myself as one of Tyler's serious friends. Uh, I'm not really playful, um, don't joke around much. I'm really a no-nonsense guy and extremely boring. And sometimes, because of my seriousness, I can be a real buzzkill. So, um, all that being said, welcome to GCF. Uh, let's get started. Um, we're in the book of Mark, and the title of our series is Who is Jesus? Um, this will be the shortest text, actually, that we ever shared on uh, so far in a Mark. But this is the 14th message, and I wonder how many of you would have an answer for the question of who is Jesus. You see, no matter what you think about Jesus, Jesus won't stop being Jesus. But sooner or later, an answer will be demanded of you. Today, Jesus will confront us with a completely different thought and economic structure. Up until this point, Jesus demonstrated his kingdom, generosity and mercy, but not his kingdom economics and kingdom transcendence. Jesus has us where he wants, and what he's going to say couldn't have been said last week. It couldn't have been said with Tyler's sermon. Not because there wasn't enough time, because it just couldn't be said. It couldn't stand. It wouldn't make sense and would not be reasonable without understanding what was really in the exchange between Jesus and Peter. We've had up to this point... What we've had up to this point is Jesus angering and offending some, mystifying others, amazing us, and terrifying many. But today it's just Jesus and regular people, much like all of us that are in the room tonight. While there's only Jesus teaching, what he's saying to us tonight is so powerful, it'll bear up in this world and in the world to come. So there's no shock and awe recorded, as in previous chapters. There's nature is not ruled over. There's not disease being eradicated. Nothing remotely physical will even be seen this evening. You always want to pay attention to Jesus when he's speaking and the 360 degrees that are around him. And what, one will, and what we'll read tonight, one could safely say that those around Jesus were more likely as close disciples. In this context, a disciple is a student, and in this case, they were a student of Jesus or his close followers. It would also appear there were people just hanging around, probably there because he fed them and healed them, um, and also perhaps some, perhaps some nominal believers, just fringe believers. However, the one absent group were the Pharisees. See, actually, Jesus is going to talk about discipleship tonight, and he never talked about that with the Pharisees around. And the Pharisees aren't there. Well, why is this important? And to me, it's really pretty simple. The people who hated Jesus and wanted him dead, they weren't there. But the people who wanted Jesus to live and be the Jesus and say 
and, excuse me, and stay the Jesus he had been up to this point in their midst, they were the only ones that were present. So we need God's help tonight because he's speaking directly to people just like you and me. And so um, as Caleb prayed, I just want to pray right now, pray for God's help. Father, we come to you, and Lord, I'm grateful that, um, that you're here. Uh, Lord, uh, these, these words that we're going to speak, they're just, they're just letters and sentences on a page. Um, and so, Father, we pray for the Holy Spirit to awaken them to all of us, that you would help us in Jesus' name. Um, before we dive in, we have to set up the backdrop to what I'm going to share tonight. And it's actually in Mark 8, 29 through 33. And this is what Tyler shared a little bit about last week. But in verse 29, it says, And he asked them, But who do you say that I am? Peter answered, You are the Christ. And he strictly charged them to tell no one about him. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. And he said this plainly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Let me repeat that last verse. Get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. I believe the entirety of the verses we're going to look at tonight is aimed at unpacking what Jesus means about us setting our minds on the things of man. We start here because step one in kingdom economics is understanding the value that Jesus places on things. Peter was a Jew, and he probably knew that the law and the pro what the law and the prophets said about Jesus, but he didn't comprehend the story of Jesus. Somehow Peter overlooked this little tiny detail that Jesus had to die and be raised from the dead. But I believe his oversight was woven into his disregard for how good his self felt about being with Jesus. I really want you to see how someone who had all the theological awareness that a Messiah was coming and to be ever watchful for him, he had all the criteria checklist and was actually in the presence of the Messiah himself, but was blind to the story of the Savior. He was blind with self. Mark 8, 34 starts us off this evening. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. You see, up to this point, Jesus had been wooing his disciples with follow me, come here, listen, pay attention, do not fear, only believe, hear, and understand. I really want to slow walk through this verse here because Jesus right now is giving us the real come to Jesus meeting. I think you'll hear it in the tone because the dating is over for Jesus and his disciples. Now it's come, deny yourself, and follow after me. So in verse 34, it starts with, if anyone, if, should actually be a very frightening word for us today. If makes this exclusively conditional proposition. It makes this that. 
but Jesus is presenting powerful and persuasive, persuasive contrasts. Then the word anyone makes the proposition all-inclusive to his hearers, and to that end, it'll include us. There's oftentimes exclusiveness and, in, and inclusiveness when Jesus is speaking, and here's an example of, self, example of it. Deny self and take up self-torture. Self, right now, in this room, self is your biggest problem. And it was Peter's too. The problem with self is yourself. That's what the problem is. The problem is that most people are upside down on self or they're a chameleon with it. Um, self is really slippery, subject to talk about. The problem with each of us is that we take ourselves too seriously and treat ourself too lightly. Jesus is attempting to clear up our misunderstandings with self, but pay attention to how he is doing it. He is teaching us to treat self according to the problem that it is. Jesus says to treat it by denying it and self-torture. Well, how do I get self-torture? Because the cross in the days of Jesus was intended to be torture of the highest order. Ironically, we would never be able to use the cross in this day and age. It's no coincidence Jesus grew self and the cross together. I don't believe he intended for us to begin torturing ourselves. However, I do believe this was his first attempt at shining a bright light on our biggest problem. I really want us to pause on this word of self. Self and the problem it truly is, is the same for all of us. The problem with self is we don't realize it in proportion to God. Jesus had a way to treat self, but here's how most of us treat it. Tuesday morning, I was running a little late, and I stopped at McDonald's for breakfast. Uh, I ordered a couple of uh, sausage biscuits, for those of you who are keeping score. Um, and, um, and I went on my merry way and opened my bag as I was driving down the road, like all the other safe drivers out there. And um, I pulled out my first sausage biscuit, and I don't know what it was, but this sausage biscuit was lighter. I don't know if McDonald's is changing things, but I can tell you right now, that sausage biscuit was lighter. So, I just knew there was something wrong with mine. You see, that's what self is to us. We know it's there. It's, it's in the mix, but it's really, really slight. It's a buzzing fly in the room, a wrinkle in our socks. It's a wiper blade that doesn't quite get our windshield clear. We know there's a hint of it in our mix with Jesus, in our walk with Jesus, but Jesus is saying we're full of it. Jesus is ordering the self and aiming the heart of his believers so they can follow after him and thrive. I mentioned thriving because have you noticed how the people in our story so far, in the book of Mark so far, we're, in, we're just ending chapter 8, but all of the people in power, whether spiritual or political, they aren't really helping anybody. It doesn't appear people are flourishing under their care. Don't you find that really odd? Truth is more helpful than power, and power is most helpful when it's true. 
And the beauty of Jesus is that he's perfectly all three, perfectly at all times. There's a distinction beginning to surface as it relates to power. They use their power to oppress, but Jesus is beginning to flex his muscle to truly liberate perfectly. In Mark 8, 35 through 37, Jesus goes on to say, For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? Um, a pastor in uh, Kentucky, Dr. Jim Hamilton, says that Jesus is setting all of human wisdom on its head right here. I mean, who can think of transactions in contrasts like this? I would submit to you that only God can and to that point, if you don't believe these words are coming from God, you'll struggle with them. None of us has the bandwidth to absorb what's unfolding in these verses because Jesus is introducing his kingdom transcendence and the folks cannot wrap their brains around it. Minds, I might add, that are full of themselves. In Isaiah 48, 11, God says, for my own sake, for my own sake I do it. Jesus is dislodging and demanding his followers to do things for the sake of himself and the gospel. If you were a disciple back then, if you were a follower of him, I'm sure your heads would be coming off. Your head would be exploding because things are unraveling faster than what you can imagine. They cannot comprehend this but honestly, it's because of their hearts were full of their own self-exaltation. Jesus is painting a picture that he's going to die. Jesus is painting a picture that we must follow him. And they've never heard something like this. In verse 36, it says here um, that Jesus asks a question, but when Jesus asks a question, He's getting the question, and he's wanting to embed it in our hearts. And he's not looking for an answer. He's looking for a door into your heart with his questions. In verse 35, we have Jesus' kingdom transcendence, and now he's unpacking his kingdom economics. So here's a question for you guys in this room. Did you guys ever know the stakes were this high? Did you ever know the stake was this high for your life? Have you ever in your life been confronted with such eternal contrasts? Because that's what's coming to bear right now. And they're actually coming to bear on your education. They're coming to bear on your career. Whatever, you're, whatever you do, eternal contrasts is what Jesus is trying to bring to bear on those things. I mean, aren't each of you in this room striving and struggling and grinding out an education, a career, so you gain? And Jesus right now is putting a stick of dynamite to people's hearts. Verse 37 is a scale and bankruptcy question. 
what does it say here? For who, um, for what does it profit? Excuse me, I'm sorry. For what can a man give in return for his soul? As I said, it's a scale and bankruptcy question that's unanswerable without an eternal perspective. Because the answer is, there's nothing. There is nothing you'll ever possess or ever will have that can ransom your soul. There's mystery and there's redemption in the question, but again, who but God would even know to ask a question like this? Who but God would ever know to ask you a question like this? You know, the more I thought through this, I think these three verses are intended to provoke us. In fact, I believe that we're to be provoked to hopelessness, but hopeless about ourselves. Do you understand that, that Peter rebuked Jesus because losing Jesus to death meant Jews, <laughs> meant Jesus, excuse me, Jesus, excuse me, Peter rebuked Jesus because losing Jesus to death meant Peter was losing his self to obscurity again. What Jesus did for Peter, if Jesus died, Peter would lose that. The reason he rebuked Jesus had nothing to do with Jesus, had everything to do with himself. And you know what? His heart couldn't bear it. His heart could not bear the thought of losing himself. That's why what makes following Jesus, this is what makes following Jesus such a conundrum for us. It's counterintuitive, and to be redundant, it's challenging, it's difficult, and unreasonable, but unreasonable because we're so full of ourselves. You see, even though I think we all know our hearts are ablaze with ourselves, we treat it with indifference. Are you seeing the foolishness Jesus is talking about? And are you seeing it for yourselves? And then in Mark 38, like I said, this is the shortest text we've ever been in. It says here, For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man be also be ashamed when he comes in, in the glory of his Father with his holy angels. These are the words of God describing where we all live. I'm not here representing the baby boomer generation. But yet, you're not the Y generation or whatever. What do they call you guys? Millennial? Go with it, all right. But see, this is an example of the Bible. What does the Bible say about us? The Bible tells us where we live. The Bible tells us what we represent. And biblically, we're all from this adulterous and sinful generation. And can I tell you, Jesus is the only way. Jesus is the only way through it. This is not a who is Jesus text. But this is a behold our God text. Isaiah 25, 9 says, Behold, this is our God. We have waited for him that he might save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. Each one of you in this room, 
your soul has been waiting for Jesus. Each one of you in this room, your soul has been waiting for Jesus. And you'll never be satisfied pursuing anything else because you are made to be satisfied with the greatness of Jesus. Please don't mistake what I'm saying. Go to school, be the best student ever. Have the best career and get your heart, but get your heart oriented around Jesus and do the rest of your life with your heart ablaze for the glory of God. You're in here, each one of you, because you need Jesus. You see, <laughs> I think you're just like me when I was in my 20s. But see, I didn't know how pathetic I was in my 20s. How insecure, how conniving and manipulative, or how really uncool I was. I remember distinctly getting saved, and I honestly thought this, I'm going to be cooler now. Girls are, <laughs> girls are really going to think that I'm suave. That was really at the top of my mind. That was a top of my mind thought. Makes me want to throw up now. That's the self that Jesus must, says must die. And that self is burning deep inside every one of us. Everyone in this room. If self doesn't die, self will kill you. It's really that simple. The only... The only way to truly put aside the powerful thoughts you have about yourself is to know and think right thoughts about Jesus. Sooner or later, what you think about Jesus will be tested. So what's the takeaway for you tonight? I said at the beginning there were three types of people present for what Jesus taught. Disciples of his, these were students, close followers, untested by persecution and hard times, but nonetheless, they were disciples. I believe they were nom nominal believers, fringe people who were skeptical but intrigued. And then there were unbelievers who wanted to belong to the community of believers, but not to the belief of the believers. Those exact demographics are in this room tonight. And these words of Jesus are needed by all. So because of that, and because you're college students, here are my cliff notes for you. And I've titled them, no matter who you are. Mark 8.34 says, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. No matter who you are, the universe and life is scaled to Jesus, whether you admit it or not. Your biggest problem is you, yourself. Not your circumstances in life, your bad breaks, your good breaks. Are they influential? Absolutely. Are they powerful? Absolutely. But are they your biggest problem? Not hardly. The problem is you. You love yourself too much, Jesus too little, and others poorly. But don't be fooled. Coming to Jesus is a one-way street. Mark 8, 35, it says, For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel will save it. I spent four days with my grandkids this past week, and I was shocked at the brazenness of their hearts and minds and words. Their selfishness was like none other. <laughs> My five-year-old grandson was talking to me 
At the very same time, he was looking at his reflection in the window. And I said to him, what on earth are you looking at? And he said, me. (laughs) I buried my hands, my head in my hands. If you're set on saving your pathetic self, you'll lose. If you're willing to give up your pathetic self, you'll save your soul for eternity. Actually, this seems like it's the most reasonable thing I've said tonight. And, and in verse 36, Jesus says, For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and self, forfeit his soul? No matter who you are, the cost of your indifference to Jesus is eternally grave. You're a fool if you walk out of here and are indifferent to, those, to who Jesus is. In verse 37, it says, For what can a man give in return for his soul? No matter who you are, the answer is nothing. There's nothing you have that can ransom your soul. The fool is one who doesn't care about the question. Let me tell you something. Without Jesus, you're toast. Without Jesus, we're all toast. Verse 38 says, For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father and the holy angels. No matter who you are, this is a warning. Have you ever considered your unbelief and indifference and half-heartedness as seen as being ashamed of God? Scaling ourselves to God is the only way to eject the kingdom of self that rules you. No matter who you are, you need Jesus. This entire Who is Jesus sermon series is is designed to show you this is who Jesus is. I took five minutes and flipped through Mark 1 and 2 last night because I wondered what has Mark taught us as to who Jesus is up until this point. And this is what it says. He is the Son of God. He is mightier than us. The Lord, authoritative teacher, disease healer, astonishing teacher, holy one of God, man of prayer, sought after, popular, preacher, forgiver of sin, compelling, discerning, compassionate, powerful, helpful, helpful, tireless servant, one of a kind, merciful, bridegroom, new wine, son of man, and the Lord of all rest. That's just in two chapters of the book of Mark. But he's more than this. He's 10 million Grand Canyons. He's 1 billion sunsets. He's 1 trillion glacier parks. And every wonder of the world, every ounce of gold and diamonds and oil that has ever been extracted from the earth times quadrillions and quadrillions. This is who Jesus is. He is these things, but I would pose the question, what are you going to do with Jesus? What are you going to do with Jesus? Nobody in this room thinks big enough thoughts about God. If you could listen to someone who has been sinning longer than any of you and has scars from life, a life of pursuing cool, acceptance and approval my daughter um, I have daughters both similar to ages in here and um, and many people that know me as I say this all the time your time your season in your 20s is a dress rehearsal for life life is harder than school Life is harder than school. 
God brought you here to tell you about Jesus. Jesus displayed his power over the worst of nature, the worst of disease, and the worst Satan could throw at him. And he did it to demonstrate countless things and to show he had the power to solve our problem. Why? He's everything I've spoken about, but never forget that what he did, he did to show us that our problems are really this big. Just think about that. If you can wrap your brain around this, as Tyler has shared in the past, he calmed the sea. He fed thousands of people. But it's because our problem is that big. That's why Jesus did this thing. That's what was on display. That was being demonstrated. And for us to see it differently, you're missing the point of Jesus. Jesus wouldn't spend 33 years on the face of the earth to feed and heal people. He spent and did what he did on the 33 years he spent on this earth to make a way for us forever. And he is so powerful, so he is so good, he is so merciful and so kind that he could do what he did 2,000 years ago and we can enjoy it today. It can change us today. To those of you who claim to be a disciple, you're too serious about yourself and not as serious as you think about Jesus. You see, the demographics that were in Jesus' day that were in front of him are in here tonight. To the half-hearted believer, pray for God to have mercy because you're just blind enough to miss and think you're killing it as a believer. You're not seeing clearly but Jesus does see. And to the unbeliever, what I say is come to Jesus. Come and be saved. Come and live. And when you come to Jesus, no one gets a hall pass. You must deny yourself, pick up your cross, and come and have life. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this evening. Lord, I, I pray for... Um, I pray for what we don't have in and of ourselves, Lord Jesus. I pray, Lord God, for your, for your presence to be with us tonight. Lord, I pray for this word. I pray for um, what your word said, Lord. I pray for the lives that are in here, that these lives would come to know you in a deeper way. They would come to know you and glorify you. Father, I pray for the kindness of you to be in our midst. Father, uh, in this text, you're trying to get something done. You are getting after all of us, Lord God, and what we think about ourselves. And so, Father, I pray that you would help us to think great things about you. Lord Jesus, I ask that you would come and you would save, that you would redeem, that you would restore, that you would awaken our hearts to you. Lord Jesus, I love you, and Lord, I bless you. In Jesus' name, amen.